Hello. <laughs> you said hello while I was taking a drink. <laughs> we talked about this. It was an automatic reaction. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, now we're doing it, so we're in this shit. Yeah, hello. So, hello. Yeah, yeah, everybody just heard that awkwardness. That's fine. Hello, 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 hello. And Good evening. Good good evening. Well, and I guess if you're listening now, it might not be good evening. So good. Good something. Whatever time it is. Yeah. Yeah. And welcome to Booze, Brews, and Booze. And I'm Tosh. And I'm Steph. Yeah. And, and we're just your average BFFs talking about creepy things and murder. And yeah, lots of murder and lots of ghosties and weird things. And stories. Yeah. I, I like. I spend all day just like. Oh, I can't wait to hear what Tasha's doing. <laughs> I know. I'm the same way. I'm like. Oh, I wonder what Steph's doing tonight. And I'm like equally so excited to tell my own story. You know. <laughs> so exactly. It works out perfectly. It gives us something to do. And hopefully, there are some people out there who listen and give a shit and find enjoyment in listening to our drunken stupid stories <laughs> so what have you been up to this week gee i don't know actually i can't remember <laughs> anything that's happened in the last two weeks uh camping was good good um it was really windy on saturday and kind of chilly so i kind of wanted to be home but it, you know it's um and then i worked yeah i and then oh mm. My brother and sister-in-law, or my brother-in-law and sister-in-law had their gender reveal last weekend, and oh, I yeah. am getting a baby niece. Yay. And yeah. nothing nothing blew up? No. Good. It was it was just a, he hit a golf ball that I think had, like, chalk inside or something. <laughs> so, no, we did not start any national fires. Good. No one we died. They got hit with Good. Um, That's a successful and- gender reveal. Yeah, I kind of have an idea on the name, but I'm not allowed to say anything because we're kind of keeping it in a wraps, but it's a good Aww. name. I prove. And um, she she is due the day after my birthday. Really? November 23rd. Watch her be born on your birthday, and then you can share birthdays, and that would be cool. I want her to have her own day, but it would be yeah, cool. I suppose that's true. Speaking of birthdays, I... Oh, shit. What did I just do? Oh, <laughs> there we go. Uh, so I, as you know, uh, bought plane tickets this week. Yes, you did. <laughs> and I am going to visit my Omaha in August. <laughs> you should see Steph's face right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pushing up my nose with a strand of hair. <laughs> and she was doing, like, spirit fingers. So I'll take it. But yeah, so I'm going to Omaha to visit my family, and um, my little niece Aspen is turning four years old the day after I leave, so we're having her birthday party that weekend, so I get to celebrate with her. And also, my sister Tiff, her best friend, is getting married sometime around that time, so we're also planning on potentially doing her 
bachelorette party that weekend. So we have what plans. What was supposed to be a very chill weekend in Omaha because we're always, no matter if I'm there or someone's here, it's always go, go, go. So I wanted a very chill weekend with no plans, turned into a very busy weekend with nothing but plans. But that's okay. Yeah. That's okay because it gives me an excuse to get dressed up and go back on diet. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to go see my family. I haven't seen anyone other than Steph for almost a year. And by that time, it'll be over a year. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Yeah. What are you drinking, Tasha? Let's tell us about what you're drinking. I am drinking... Uh, I'm, I switched it up just like I told you guys I would. I switched it up and I'm not drinking the Tasha Royale this week. Uh, I went to the liquor store and I bought a bunch of different like pre-made canned things. And the one that I am drinking right now is not something that I would normally drink uh, because I hate whiskey. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a ginger highball. So it's bourbon and ginger ale. And while I definitely can take taste the whiskey, the, the ginger kind of tones it down quite a bit. So it's it's palatable. And it's actually, the more I drink it, it's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> the, the more the alcohol kicks in, the less it sucks. Exactly. What are you <laughs> drinking? Um, I am drinking my favorite brand of hard seltzers, my Ooh, press drinks. Press. Yeah, so um, I actually have two packs right now that are two different packs, mm-hmm. um, two different brand or not brands, flavors, right? Um, variety packs. There we go. <laughs> so I'm drinking a lemon lime grass, <laughs> a lime lemon grass, <laughs> lime lemon grass. Uh, but um, the one that I'm super excited about having here in a little bit is the pineapple basil. I think I've had that one and it was really good. It's very but good. I, I was really actually like it. talking to my neighbor about uh, we we talk a lot about alcohol, <laughs> and so do we. Right, uh, we were talking about press drinks, or I was telling her about press drinks last night because they're really the only seltzer that I have found that is actually good. Like the rest right, of guys. them, kind of just taste the same. And they have that bitter aftertaste. Like like a strawberry winked at them. Exactly. Yeah. And press has more of a fruit flavor to it. It doesn't have a weird aftertaste. But you can't find them here in Philly. Like, I've I've looked for them, even in that giant beer warehouse that we have up the street. And I, I they don't exist here. So you oh. have the press and I have the, the uh, what's that fucking called? X-rated. X-rated. Thank you. I kept wanting I to say glue- kinky. But no, it's, it's the not same the thing. thing. No, it's not. <laughs> I will gladly trade alcohols with you. Yeah. I mean, I actually almost got a bottle of X-rated when I was at the liquor store. And I was just like, nah, because it'll go too fast. I'll drink it yeah. too fast and I won't get drunk enough to, you know, make it worth the 20 something dollars for that one bottle. You yeah. don't think you could? I mean, if I drank the whole bottle to myself in one night, then I'd get drunk. Yeah, but then you'd end up with diabetes. Exactly. That shit is nothing but pink sugar. Pink sugar. Well, now that I've I've chatted enough, uh, do you want to get into this shit? Yeah. 
Okay. You what are we going to take a shot to, Tasha? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's happy motherfucking Friday. You know, speaking of, okay. When I, when I was thinking, I was at, I was... <laughs> I can't even talk. I was I was preparing my lunch today, right? Um, I was thinking, it's Friday, and we're recording on Friday. We recorded on Thursday last week, but we're back to recording on Friday. And then this song popped into my head. And I, I the, my only explanation is it's something that we used to sing in school, maybe? Or, like, Girl Scouts or something? But it's like... It's Friday, and it's my day, because it's the last day of school this week. <laughs> you never heard that? I've never heard that. Really? <laughs> no. I just sang it every single Friday ever since, if I did. Y- you know, I. it's like, you know how bad my memory is. But I was standing yeah. there at the sink, you know, blending my smoothie and it just popped into my head like a a, a memory bubble from beyond. Yeah, and, you know it, it 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 works. It translates because now you can sing that every Friday. But instead of saying it's the last day of school this week, you can say it's the last day of work this week, and it just makes everything better. It does. It's the Friday anthem now. Every Friday, Lucas and I say Happy Motherfucking Friday. Yep. So let's to shoot, each other. Let's shoot to Friday because it's fucking Friday, and this week it's sucked. Friday. It's Friday. <laughs> Gotta get down on Friday. <laughs> All right, dude. Wait, am I doing your Happy face? Friday? Doing my face. Happy Friday. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> I did a Ooh. full shot that time, but I did not mean to. Let's get into it. Are you ready to hear this shit? I am. Give me some 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 murdery details. Let's go back to 1983. <laughs> Picture it. Sicily. We are in Emporia, Kansas. Oh, okay. Well, that's not as fun. <laughs> no, but this is a juicy story, dude. All right. Give me juicy. that. Juicy. Give it the juice. The juice. The hot gas. The hot gas. The turbulent um, juice. I hate you so much right now. Two brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Real fake doors. Handsome Eyes Johnson. (laughs) I am Handsome Eyes Johnson. Sorry, guys. I'm like, it's Friday. We're going to be cutting this out anyway. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then we don't, and everybody's like, mm, you didn't. Yep. <laughs> Who knows? Tasha gets to make the final say. Yep. I cut so, it or keep it. It's my choice. My story focuses on Sandra Bird, um, or Sandy, and her husband, Tom Bird, and then Martin Anderson and his wife, Lorna Anderson. So... Sandy was born June 5th, 1950 in Dallas, Texas. She moved to Arkansas um, when she was younger, and then she met and married Tom Bird, who was a Lutheran minister. In 1982, uh, her, her husband, and her three young children, they were all under the age of five, 
three children under the age of five. Mm -mm. Um, They moved to Emporia. Yeah. They moved to Emporia, Kansas because Tom had been offered a job at Faith Lutheran Church. They had three children and her and Tom had been married, I think for like six or seven, maybe six or seven years, but not like super long. Um, She coordinated multiple church events, uh, including vacation Bible school and assisting with Sunday school. And on top of the pastor's wife duties of just like, you know, running like potlucks and, you know, being there for like new families and that kind of thing. She was also a teacher's assistant at Emporia State. She had already obtained her master's degree and was getting her doctorate in IT, computer sciences. Wow. I was like, get it, Sandy, 83. For sure. 1983. Uh, And a woman in IT. Like, and they were saying like computer mathematics. Dang, go Sandy. Yeah. So, yeah, and she was getting her doctorate. Right. So I did find a little description on Sandy. Everybody said that she loved to participate in practical jokes, and especially if the individual's ego had become obnoxious. Mm-hmm. And um, she was bubbly, outgoing. Her eyes were aglow, infectious smile and laugh, and always there to offer a hug and a peck on the cheek. So then Tom, her husband, uh, was a Lutheran minister. He was new to Emporia, um, but he did grow up, like, in the somewhat area because I know that he had, like, friends who were old friends from, like, the area, too. Um, So I believe he grew up in, like, South Kansas, maybe close to Oklahoma. He began to breathe new life into this church, and he began bringing a larger congregation in. He introduced more programs and counseling services within the church, and he wanted it to be a place where people went um, for fellowship and not quite just for just, like, going to church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So, like, he wanted to make sure that there were programs for everybody to participate, feel like they're part of a community, not feel alone, that kind of thing. Right. Um, He was an avid sports guy. He was a distance runner in college, and he still ran more than five miles a day. Um, He played on the Optimist Club's basketball team and the church softball team this story starts on saturday july 16th in 1983 okay so it's hot humid midwest summer night mm-hmm. so so sandy comes to the church where her husband tom is working on the sermon for the next morning service um she's just come from the university bringing dinner and she also brought good news with her She had just been offered a promotion where she would be taking on more responsibilities, but that included leading lectures and moving up within, like, the university environment itself. So that's what she wanted, you know, like, and this is also a part of her, like, doctorate. So she got the promotion. She's going to be leading more lectures. So according to the episode of On the Case with Paula Zahn, which aired in 2011, after dinner, excuse me, they went to a movie. After the movie... They stopped at home so Sandy could grab a bottle of wine for herself and a bottle of whiskey for Tom. And then they went back to the church to share a drink. After that, they decided, let's take this to the bar. Let's celebrate some more. Sandy just got that promotion. She kind of feels like she's like feeling a little like welcome in the, not welcome in the town, but just like feel like she's finally like getting her groove in right. town. Still is getting her groove And back. Uh, <laughs> Sandy got her groove back Sandy in Emporia, Kansas. <laughs> Tell me about it, stud. Mm-hmm. So then um, they went back to the church to share a drink, and then they went to the bar to continue the celebration. They had a couple more drinks. 
danced a little bit, and then they started, um, you know, having some conversation. Tom had mentioned that he wasn't very happy that she was taking on more responsibilities. And he was worried. Yes, he (laughs) was worried that she would begin to neglect her duties as the pastor's wife, Mm -hmm. which he felt were more important than her teaching duties. Mm-hmm. This caused a rift between the two, which made them both decide to go their separate ways for the rest of the evening, but agreed to meet back at the church at 1030 to go home. Tom assumed that she went back to the school to work some more. He headed to the church. Well, she dropped him off the church. He didn't head to the church. She dropped him off to the church um, so he could finish up his sermon. He stated after he finished the sermon, he went for a jog. And here, Paula asks, you'd run at night? And Tom states, states oh, yes, I uh, I jog and run through the message while I'm jogging. Paula then asks, was it a normal thing for you to drink before you would go jogging? <laughs> and he responds with a laugh in his tone. He says, I needed the run to maybe clear my head. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I sure do you- know I like a good run when I'm drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good run when I'm sober. <laughs> Sandy isn't there. He states he starts to get worried, and um, he waited around. She didn't show up. On the flip side of that, the police stated that he called them several times prior to midnight, called 911 like several times prior to midnight, stating that his wife was missing. And he said that he went home about 11.15 and didn't call the cops until after midnight. Hmm. And they were like, "Uh, we got a couple more calls than you, and it was way before midnight. He said that he called the babysitter... And then called the police. The babysitter said that she didn't get a call until after midnight. And the police were saying that he was calling the police before midnight. Mm. So it's like that right there is kind of already kind of questioning. Right. Um, Babysitter was a 14-year-old girl. I think she was a member of the congregation. Or her parents were members of the congregation. And she was just, you know, at the church and everything. The babysitter also remembered that Tom had come home in a shirt and a tie. Even though he had claimed that he had jogged that night. The cops had sent a detective over to their house. Uh, to his house, to him, to talk to him and see, you know, what's going on and ask some questions, kind of like, did you have a fight? Do you think she might be with a friend? And this was about 3 a.m. And they said that they would call him in the morning. So then the next morning, the police get a call from some hikers near the Cottonwood River at the Rocky Ford Bridge. They had spotted spotted (laughs) a car lying on its top lying in the river Oh, and police arrive and find the deceased body of sandy lying next to her peugeot which is a station wagon <laughs> i was just gonna and, say oh, what <laughs> you know, they kept saying peugeot and i'm like how do you spell it guess how it's spelled how p-e-u-g-e-o-t peugeot 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 and he just kept saying and he wasn't saying Sandy's car. He wasn't saying my wife was laying next to the car. He was just saying the car. Mm-hmm. Or not not the, the car. He was just saying the Peugeot the was Peugeot. in the river. The <laughs> Peugeot. They had determined that she had not been wearing a seatbelt, obviously, because she had been ejected from the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And um, Sandy was 33 years old at the time of her death. Um, when the police came to tell Tom the next morning uh, about what had happened to Sandy... His first response to the sheriff's deputy was, what was she doing out there? We never go there. And then mm-hmm. he asked, where is that? Like, first you say, we never go out there. And then you ask, where is that? Mm-hmm. Like, make up your how mind, do you know Tom. you don't, how do you know you don't, we don't go there if you don't know where that's at? Right. What exactly. if you do go there? And you just don't know the name. Right. Anyway. And why would that be your first question anyway? Why wouldn't you be asking about your wife? Yeah. What happened? Is she, what happened? Like, yeah. How did she die? 
Why? Why? Yeah. Why is the car upside down? Oh my God! Why me? Exactly. <laughs> Any what, other question? What am I gonna do now? You know? Yeah. Anything. What am I going to tell my children? Exactly. My three children under the age of five who just lost their mother. Exactly. This guy's and my douche. first friend's turn. Yeah. Anyway. So um, the police were like still picking stuff up out there and like still trying to like figure out what happened. And they noted that there was some blood on the bridge. But one of the detectives said, oh, that's just bait blood. And one of the other police officers said, I don't think. That's bait blood, but they didn't press it because they were kind of newer to the force and younger than all of the other officers. That he didn't want to like push it, but he did say that he felt a little uncomfortable with the way that they like ruled the case. Mm-hmm. So they also noted that there weren't any skid marks on the road. So she crashed like so. It's this gravel road and a bridge. It's and then to the right of the bridge is a little you know, down thing to go to the river. Mm-hmm. And right. it was just that the car just went like straight that way instead of trying to like swerve or anything. It was just like, Meh. like didn't even try. So, I mean, it could be sleep, could be drunk. She had some drinks. Right. So you know. I, I want to know how, if it was just driven into that little area, how it flipped. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was kind of a deep decline down of the river but it wasn't crazy right and it wasn't an extremely shallow river either yeah like if you i understand if you're going super fast you know and you go straight in and maybe like the impact from the car onto the water could maybe flip it but you'd have to be going really really fast for that to happen i spoke though it is it did look extremely shallow i'm sorry Hmm. (laughs) I don't know why I said it was not a very shallow river. It was not a very <laughs> deep river. It was kind of shallow. That's why I don't take full shots of fireball at one time. <laughs> and then um, the, the officers also noticed that the driver's seat in Sandy's car was pushed all the way back. Um, and she was like between 5'1 and 5'3. She's me. So her, yeah, sh- her seat shouldn't be pushed all the way back in a Peugeot. Mm-mm. She'd, she'd be pushing that so, shit all the way to the front, driving like a grandma, just like I did. Making out with the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what we called it, making out with the steering wheel. Yep. So then um, Paula asked, did Sandy wear her seatbelt? And Tom says, back on, on the case with Paula's on, mm-hmm. Tom answers, when she was alone, no. When she was with the children, yes. And okay. then he also said that she liked to drive to be, to like clear her head. So, like, kind of how he said that he jogged to clear her head, she drove to clear her head. Mm-hmm. And she liked to drive with her windows down, music up, apparently no seatbelt. Mm-hmm. Which, I, I know a lot of people who don't wear seatbelts. Yeah. I try to wear my seatbelt as much as possible. I hate wearing a seatbelt. Yeah, but I'm anxious. Mm-hmm. And I know the one time I don't wear a seatbelt is going to be the one time I get nailed. <laughs> and I did get a no seatbelt ticket once, and that was not fun. Right. So he said that she... <laughs> Didn't wear a seatbelt when she drove by herself, but her mom and friends insisted that Sandy always wore her seatbelt. Okay. I believe them over him. I do, too. Mm -hmm. too. Sad. He's a minister. Oh, yeah. Wow. You know what's even more sad is I'm not surprised. So Sandy was buried in Alexander, Arkansas, and um, for her funeral, Tom and the kids went down to Arkansas, stayed at her mom's house. Her mom's name is Jane Grismer. 
And um, she just said, like, she was just such a nice person, and now she's not here, and I don't know why God would do this. Um, a few days after the funeral, Marty Anderson, or Martin Anderson, who was a friend of Tom's, and he was, like, an old friend of Tom, uh, he worked in the coroner's office and a member of the church as well. And he told Tom what the findings of the autopsy were. And they said that her blood alcohol content was low, so she wasn't impaired or anything. And um, she died from a lacerated kidney, to which she bled internally, and that killed her. And then shortly after the findings, they felt that that was consistent with a crime, so they ruled it an accident. Hmm. Okay. So then that brings us to Martin Ans at Anderson. Marty. And this is the other part of the story that we're talking about. He was born on December 8th in 1948 in Wellington, Kansas. So he graduated from Wellington High School in 1966. He attended Southwestern College at Winfield and Hutchinson Hospital School of Medical Training. He was a laboratory supervisor at Newman Memorial Hospital in Emporia and a member of the following Faith Lutheran Church, which is where Tom was the minister. Okay. The Flint Flint Hills Optimist Club, which is the club that Tom also belonged to. And then he was a part of the 410th EVAC Hospital Unit of the Army Reserve and the American Society of Clinical Pathologists. So we're five episodes in, and this is my second story with a pathologist in it. Yeah, it is. That's weird. Huh. Anyway, so he became friends with Tom while he was at a church softball uh, game, and uh, they they played on the game in the game together, and they kind of like shared a love for the game, and so that's where they kind of clicked. And then this was an afterthought, and I have no idea why I put it this late, but <laughs> in my notes, he married Lorna Slater in on June twenty third, nineteen seventy three, and had four daughters. Okay. So I was wondering when these prior. other people were going to pop up. Yeah, so we're getting there. Okay. So on Friday, November 4th in 1983, Marty, Lorna, and their four daughters were on their way home from dinner. And they were on Highway K-177, um, just outside of town. And Lorna was driving, but she began to feel sick, so she pulled over. Um, she got out of the car and went to the field to throw up. And it was like a cornfield or whatever, and went to the field to throw up and... Apparently, she dropped her van keys while she was over there. So she comes back to the van, tells Marty she dropped the keys, and asked him to come help her look for them, which I'm not going to take my keys to go puke while my husband and daughters are sitting in the car November 4th in Kansas freezing their butts off. Right. That doesn't make any sense. No. But, okay, Lorna. All right. Go on. Um, <laughs> so he gets out of the car, starts helping her look. A masked robber comes out of nowhere with a gun. He um, points the gun at Marty's head and tells him to get on his knees and to face away from him. And then demands his wallet, shoots him three times in the back of the head, and that killed him instantly. Oh, wow. Marty was 34 years old. Dang. All these people Shortly after young. his murder, the cops are like, what the F? Like, this guy who is a medical examiner... Um, for our town and works in the coroner's office is shot. And the former um, sheriff of Geary County, Kansas, stated that it was like a, it looked like a mafia hit because he had three shots to the back of his head. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. So he thought that that was, that was a little weird. And he didn't, he's like, why, why would there be somebody on this two lane highway, K177? It's actually kind of a quiet road. 
And they're just, like, waiting for somebody to pull over so that they can rob them and kill them. Like, right. don't you have something better to do in, like, I don't know, Kansas City? Like, there's more people there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Topeka, Wichita, like, anywhere but Emporia. Like, yeah, like, and why would you just be hanging out waiting for someone to come along? At the beginning of November, which you know it's chilly. At the and very was, least. Yeah, so Lorna, like, flagged down a vehicle that was passing by that she could find and got in the car think and took the kids with her or left them there i don't know like what'd you do lorna yeah um and <laughs> went to town called the cops let them know what's going on they came out and no invested cell phones back then i know i have to keep reminding myself it was 1983 mm-hmm. this is 20 <laughs> years before everybody had a cell phone yep you had to find a pay phone or a, a, a public building that would let you use their phone. Yeah. And usually the phone was for paying customers only. Exactly. And if your husband just got murdered, you probably didn't stop to grab your wallet if you're freaking out as much as I would be. Yep. I would hope, so, though, if you find, like, a gas station or something and they're just like, my husband was just murdered, they would let you use their phone without giving you any shit. In Emporia, but, Kansas, probably. But you never know because there are... A lot of assholes in this world, so. Yeah. The next day, the next day, the cops are like, interesting, Lorna has already called her insurance company, her insurance agent, about Marty's life insurance policy. You never do it the next day. Now, Why do they always do that? Now, on the flip side, I'm broke. I'm gonna call that insurance company to start planning out this funeral. But the next but, day. Probably not. I'm probably going to be in bed for a couple days. Exactly. Like, you should be in mourning. Ask my parents to send me a couple bucks and I'll kick them back when the life insurance policy kicks in. Like, Right. Yeah. Ridiculous. But that's just me. You know, that's, that's, that's just logical me. So the day after he was murdered, she contacted her insurance agent to check on his life insurance policy and to see how long it would take for her to get the money. According to the gossip in the town... Lorna had not been faithful to Marty. Of course not. And this little tidbit reached the ears to the police around the same time that the life insurance policy thing reached the ears to their police to the police as well. Mm-hmm. So they're like, that's a little suspicious. Oh, Lorna, I think we got something on you. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> girl, what'd you do? You ain't even what'd trying to hide it. What are you doing? Like, gosh golly. <laughs> gosh golly, Lorna. Oh my goodness. I can't even. I can't even believe it. I'm going through like four different accents here. Whatever. <laughs> so um, <laughs> then people started saying that like, oh, well, you know that she had an affair, but then also that she had a way of getting men to do what she wanted them to do. Like if she asked them something, she could usually get them to do it. Mm-hmm. And then she had also apparently joked with friends previously about killing her husband and then had once asked an attorney to draw up some divorce papers about, uh, like, two years prior, but they didn't actually get a divorce. And I mean, like, I'm gonna kill Lucas. Like, that happens. But I don't be like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if I pushed him in front of a semi? Right. There's there's a difference between I'm so mad I could kill him right now and do you think someone would help me kill him? Oh my god, wouldn't it be so funny if I, like, pushed him off a bridge? Like, what do you th- what do you think would happen if I somehow flipped his car into this river? You know? Oh, yeah. 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 There's okay, a difference. Lorna, not looking too good. Yeah. That light that you've painted yourself in is not a good color for you. No. Not a good light. No. Not a good color. 
So it's like fluorescent apparently, lighting. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> ew, you look washed out, Lorna. <laughs> you look so washed out. You need to get new lighting in that bathroom, Lorna. <laughs> Have you even learned how to blend? It what? should. Your neck and your face should match. Okay. I shouldn't be able to see the powder on your face. No. You look very cakey, honey. Fix your lighting, Lorna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and then it starts looking a little bit more suspicious because according to sources close to Lorna, Tom had begun counseling her around this time. Uh, I'm sorry, around the time of her infidelities. So he was counseling her to like, from what I understood, it was like a, um, just a counseling session of, you know, trying to get to the root of everything and, you know, try to bring her back to what's right and all that but rumors started flying that they might be having an affair yep of course they are Uh, of course they are (laughs) they were potentially having an affair he was his part-time secretary okay a colleague of tom's had mentioned that they had like a certain chemistry and tom said it was described as an electricity Whenever we were in the same room, but I never noticed it. I think Paula felt the same way that I do when I heard that. I was a little creeped out when I heard that, but that's just me. I'm not creeped (laughs) out. I'm annoyed. (laughs) Right. He's like, it was there, but I didn't notice it. Right. Like, do you hear yourself, Tom? Because you sound like a fucking idiot. What a douche. A douchebag. Oh, um, and this, like the affair was rumored to have started prior to Sandy's death. And Sandy had told, right. And Sandy had told her friends that she didn't think Tom loved her anymore. So the police were like, okay, this is getting like, there's a lot of talk going around town and you know, they're all from the same area. And so they probably, you know, believe it. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't blame them. You know, if you're in a smaller town, like, yeah, gossip is gossip, but like gossip does have some bearing in a lot of situations. Yeah. It has to start somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I could start a rumor about you right now, sure. but I won't. But I mean, I feel like most of the time people aren't just like, I'm going to start a rumor about this person, you know? Right. Like it has to come from it's... some some sort of visual or, you know, mm-hmm. you get a feeling about something, you know? Especially their beloved pat or minister. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then... Uh, The cops were like, okay, like, maybe we should look into Lorna a little bit more because we haven't found any information about this assailant that supposedly killed him. And they found some gun casings, but that was about it. Like, they, to this day, just let you know, they never found the person who killed him. What? Yeah. Like, who actually, like, dang, I'm not going to give this away yet. It's got to be Tom. So... Like, I feel like juicy. they killed they killed each other's spouses. Like that's how it has to happen. When we get to the like the the coup de what the, the coup de gras? The coup de gras, the nitty gritty. Yeah, you're gonna be like, oh those bitches. The cops are like, mm, maybe we should be looking a little closer to Lorna than a broad search. Let's just like bring it all into Lorna. Mm-hmm. Um, so they start, you know, looking a little bit closer into Lorna, what they knew about, you know, some of the infidelities, but they wanted to know a little bit more. They knew about the insurance policy. And so they're like, well, that's, that's $270,000 that she's looking to gain 
1983 is a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the exact exchange rate, but I'd say that's probably almost double today. I, I, I mean, it's a lot of money now. So. I know. <laughs> to me, anyway. I know. No. $270,000 would pay off my house, all of my vehicles, and allow me to quit my job for a year. It, it would literally pay off all of me and Billy's debt. All of it. My student loans. Yes. Credit cards. Medical bills. Everything. And we'd still have probably 150-something thousand left. <laughs> huh? You know? Like, come on. Give me that So, money. where it gets out the... Yeah. <laughs> No, please. Like, I'm not going to kill my husband, but I will take that $270,000 if you're offering. So they decide to start looking in a little bit closer to Lorna. Um, talk around the town starts flying that they're kind of looking into her. And Tom comes out and speaks out on her behalf, um, which kind of created a stir within the town. Mm-hmm. Um, and it he was saying that he believed her, like, we should stand by her, like... Which, to be fair, if one of my, what he called her was a close friend, if one of my close friends was, can you know, being investigated for the murder of their spouse, I'd kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But yeah. there's some people where I'd be like, kind of makes sense, actually. Yeah. I think about it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there's only one person I would help bury a body with. You. You. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's like unconditional right there but that's never gonna happen so this is not incriminating at all nope (laughs) he um he said that he believed her and thought that an opportunist had taken advantage of a stalled vehicle on the side of the road um he also mentioned that she was emotionally dependent on him Mm -hmm. and that he kind of felt like her knight in shining armor and paula asked him like were you in love with lorna and he in my opinion unconvincingly said no, I cared a great deal about her, and there was an emotional attachment. She needed me, and I needed to be needed, which was unhealthy, but I wasn't in love with her. Wow, you dick. But later, during a 1984 interview with an LA Times columnist, Lorna would go on to say, I had a real problem not feeling good about myself. Tom was very supportive, very encouraging. He told me I was not what he needed in a wife, but that he could make me into what he needed. And then she also stated that their affair had begun in the spring of 1983. Okay, that's gross. So she confirmed it. She She's not what he needed, but he can make her into what he needs. Fuck yeah. you. That's not even like just gross, though. That's that's kind of like borderline scary. Mm-hmm. Like you're not what I need now, but... I'm going to make, make you, you what I need. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. Red and let me tell flag. you how often this dude didn't blink on camera really creeped me out. Oh, yeah. I don't like that at like, all. Like, he was almost, like, trying to, like, keep his eyes open. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. That hurts my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so the police were like, hey, let's go check out Lorna's residence. So they go search his room. Her room, her Mm -hmm. bedroom, not his, hers, and her house and everything. In her bedroom, they found two, like, greeting cards from Tom addressed to Lorna. Okay. And Paula did us a solid by reading us what was on these cards. Yes. Can I tell you what? One, he's a fat liar. And two, this is 
gross. Like, ugh. So the first card, the first card read, I love you and I'm confident of the future and that makes the present okay. What? Yeah. That's real. Do you read it again or did you like? Real romantic, Tom. Yeah. So then the other card said, you are so very special. I love you so much. And that's forever. I'm sure you said that to your wife too. Yeah. You know, when you took your vows Mm -hmm. in the church under the name of God. Mm -hmm. The God that you work for, literally. With God as your witness. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Tom. But he said that this was a Christian love and not a romantic type of love. What the fuck is a Christian love? I have been a Christian majority of my life. Uh Uh-huh. I have not met anybody at a church that I would send a card like this to. No. If my pastor gave me a card that said that, I'd say... No, thanks. Yeah, I, I I, mean, I was raised Catholic, you know, and I was very religious until I was probably about 17. Mm-hmm. And if at any time anyone from my church, except for maybe the boys that I had a crush on that were my age, that I was the whole reason yeah. I went to church, you know, yeah. if anyone else would have given me a card like that, I would have probably gone to the fucking police. I would have found a new church. And found a new church. At the very least. Yep. Unless, for any reason, I would be happy about receiving that card. Yeah. Which, I mean, is very rare. So, romantic love, yes. Christian love, my ass. Tom. That's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. Don't bullshit a bullshitter, um, Tom. You can't bullshit a bullshitter. (laughs) Just can't do it. Next time you want to bullshit a bullshitter... Bullshit each other. <laughs> I love Jane Lynch so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love her so much. So the police thought it was suspicious that they were not involved, quote unquote, but these cards were in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. In her bedroom, no less. Like, not on the mantle, not on the entertainment center, but in her bedroom, probably in her nightstand. Mm-hmm. Like, so then they were like, oh. We're going to look at her phone records. And they did. And there were an insane number of calls between Tom and Lorna. More so than a working relationship or even a friendship should have. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm changing drinks. What's that? I am moving to a... Your sparkling strawberry Cuervo. Jose Cuervo sparkling strawberry margarita. Well, I'm on my third hard seltzer, and the second one was a pomegranate something, and this one's a blackberry hibiscus. Well, that is just pleasant. Is it delightful? It is delightful. It's not, like, too sweet or anything? You can taste the tequila. You can taste the strawberry. It's sweet. It's definitely sweet, but it's not, like, hurt the back of your mouth sweet. You know what I mean? Is it? I saw that it said sparkling strawberry. Is it kind of carbonated? It is carbonated. Ooh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. That's a good margarita. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Getting back to the story. Mm-hmm. The police started checking phone records and saw a lot of calls between Lorna and Tom, more than there should be. Um, and including during the week of Sandy's funeral, a total of like six to seven calls per day from Tom in Arkansas at um, Sandy's mom's house to Lorna in Emporia, Kansas. Wow. Yeah. So from his mother-in-law's phone to his lover's phone. That's fucked up. 
six to seven times a day. So they were like, that's really suspicious. That's a lot of calls between them. Um, but they couldn't place Tom at the murder. But they were, like, getting super sus of Lorna. Mm-hmm. So at this point, somebody came forward to the cops. And they didn't say who. They just said it was an ex of Lorna's. And said that Lorna had asked him to find somebody to kill Marty for her. And gave him $5,000. Who then gave the money to somebody else, I think his brother, and then who gave the money to some hitman in Mississippi who ran off with the $5,000. Really? Wow. That's what you get, Lorna. That's like some Joe Exotic shit, right? Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah. When he tries to kill Karen Baskin. Carol Karen Baskin. Carol Baskin and... Yeah, that bitch Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna get. Hey, you cool cat. You kittens. Probably, we should probably take that out because we'll probably get fucking sued by her. <laughs> she would. She would find like the most peon podcast and be like, "I'm gonna mm-hmm. sue you." Carol Baskin for the whole thirty-seven dollars. Fed him to tigers. <laughs> <laughs> where's Where's the cadaver dogs? And you need them, right? So, um, the, uh, ex-boyfriend had said, that's what happened. I don't know who killed Marty, though. And apparently they didn't pursue it because they didn't name him in anything that I had seen. And that's it for that guy. So, so Marty's then, just fucked. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> so then, uh, they're, like, starting to move in on Lorna and she lawyers up. Mm-hmm. And another person comes forward. This guy's name is Daryl Carter. And he says that in May of 1983, Lorna and Tom meet with him at the church about having Marty killed. Wow. At- you're, you're plotting someone's death or you're plotting someone's murder at a church. The church. And he even said that it's worse to divorce than it is to murder. I'm sorry. What is the number one commandment? (laughs) Thou shalt not kill. Mm -hmm. And that's not even New Testament. That's Old Testament. That's Moses. I'm pretty sure uh, divorce isn't included in the commandments, for one. Uh, It's not. But you know what is? Murder. Murder. And having an affair. Yeah. Those are in the commandments. Yeah. But, you know, he's a godly man. It's better to kill than to divorce. Mm-hmm. No, sure. no, 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 sir. You know what that means? That means you don't want to dirty your little name. And you want to get rid of the problem and make it look like an accident. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Daryl went to the cops and told them and was like, look, this is what happened. Like, after Marty was killed. He was like, this is what happened. Like, this is what they said to me. And, like, I'm, it's just not sitting right. And so Daryl went back. Like, they set up a sting operation. So they wire him. Right. Trying to get Tom to spill the beans and, like, say that, like, I, I did some shit. We did some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tom insists that, like, no, I was just talking to Daryl because he owns two firecracker stands. 
his words, firecracker stands. Mm -hmm. And he needed to raise funds for his youth group to go on a camping trip. So he was trying to get the youth group to sell firecrackers for Daryl. And so in the sting operation with the wire, Daryl's talking like, you know, like, oh, you know, a lot of crazy stuff's been going on. And Tom's like, yeah, he was like, but we only talked about firecrackers. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. We only talked about firecrackers. Mm-hmm. And um, almost like he was kind of using it as like a special code. Right. Like, that's just what it felt like to me. And so he was uh, on tape. He didn't mention the plot, but he put weird emphasis on the words firecrackers, which is where I deduced that that was like the code word. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also reiterated with Daryl that they only talked about firecrackers. And then um, Tom goes on to say that the cops were good, but they were dumb. Oh, okay. On audio says that. And I hear this. Mm-hmm. And then he said, well, I'm steering clear and just wanted to touch bases and make sure that we just talked about possibly my youth group selling firecrackers for you. At this point, Daryl said, yeah, I know. I haven't talked to them. I haven't said anything. And Tom responded, yeah, because I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to get your name involved and you don't want to get my name involved. As if that's not, like, suspicious. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So then they're like, okay, we've got enough. So both Lorna and Tom are arrested. Lorna is arrested, I believe, with um, conspiracy to solicitate murder or to solicit murder, as well as soliciting murder. And then Tom was soliciting her. Or no, it was like conspiracy to have her husband killed. And then one of the things got dropped. Mm, So they both ended up getting convicted in the end of soliciting murder. Okay. So yeah, I kind of jumped ahead there. (laughs) But that's because that's not where the nitty gritty comes in. Okay. So Daryl Carter um, did testify on the stand about this and said that uh, Tom had mentioned that a way to kill Marty would be to either drug or get him drunk and push his car off a bridge or off a cliff and make it look like a car accident. Well, that sounds familiar. And so he wanted to get Marty drunk and take him out to Rocky Ford Bridge and push him in the river so he's dead. And then Daryl would come pick him up and drive him back to town because this was about like five or six miles out of town. Mm-hmm. And then the other option was that somebody would like attack them while they're pulled over on the side of the highway and murder him mafia style. Which is what happened. Interesting how... Both of those happened mm-hmm. to the spouses. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's interesting. So after um, the jury hears that, they're like, okay, that's you're guilty. And they did find him guilty. Um, Tom was sentenced to two and a half to seven years in prison for um, the conspiracy to solicit. Two and a half to seven? Yes. And Lorna got sentenced to like... 7 to 10 for the same charges, basically. And then they dropped the charge about actually, like, soliciting murder. So they both just got the conspiracy to solicit murder. Because in their words, they never paid the $5,000. In Daryl's words, they did. Mm -hmm. But then Daryl also got, like, 
in trouble too for taking the money. Right. But if he gets in trouble for taking the money, then there's proof that there was money to take. So Mm -hmm. then they should have gotten charged. Mm -hmm. And the rumor is that the rumor is that Tom took proceeds from his wife's life insurance policy to pay to have Marty killed. Really? Yeah. (sighs) Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Yeah. So after they were both convicted and sentenced to prison, they were like, Maybe we should look back at Sandy's death. So her mother gives them permission in 1984 to exhume her. Good. And they perform a second autopsy with a private or with a a different, a third party. Mm-hmm. And they find that she actually died of blunt force trauma to the head when she, they believe that she had her head bashed in on the bridge and that her husband tossed her overboard, and that she died on the way down. So then, what do they think he did with the car? Just pushed pushed it in? Yep. Wow. So, See, what it, they... It makes sense. The way they painted it was that um, him and Sandy had gone for a drive to the bridge to talk about her job. Mm-hmm. And they got into an argument, and he killed her and threw her overboard. And he ran his jog back to the church and changed and discarded all of his jogging clothes along the way and went home. Mm-hmm. And he was like, there's no way. That's not true. That didn't happen. You know, him and Han, like they do, saying, mm-hmm. you can't catch me. I didn't kill my wife. Right. Now, they didn't really have a whole lot of substantial evidence. But the evidence that they did have, like the seat of the car being pushed all the way back, the no skid marks, the blood on the bridge, that they ended up figuring out was Sandy's. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. They actually did, like, DNA test? Mm-hmm. Wow. They were able to determine that was Sandy's blood. So, um, I think this was, like, a year into Tom Sutton. A grand jury convicted him of first-degree murder of his wife. Good. And sentenced him to life in prison. Good. Fuck that guy. And then Lorna was held accountable for her husband's murder. But the um, evidence wasn't 100% like able to be gone through until like 10 or 15 years after the actual murder itself. So mm-hmm. it did take some time, but they were able to convict her in her husband's murder. But it wasn't first degree. Um, I think it was more of like a manslaughter charge. Now here's the fucking quicker though. They are both out. What? Yep. Tom served 20 years and got parole in 2004. What? And Lorna got released in 2000. Oh, I might have to double check that because I'm not 100% on that. But it was in like the late 2000s. They are the late 2000s. <laughs> we are in the early 2000s. Um, I think I was like. It had to have been recently because there was a news story about it. And I can't find it now. But um, they've both been released on parole and they've both completed their post out things. Also, in 1988, a preschool teacher married the minister, Tom, in a ceremony in the prison. Why? And I Facebook stalked her. <laughs> Why do people do that? Like, I, don't, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know. 
Apparently they had met at a function prior to his arrest after Sandy was killed. Um, the and they hit it off The reason he's in jail is because he was having an affair and he killed his wife. You want to, mm-hmm. you want to marry that guy? Mm-hmm. Well, Lorna, Lorna got married to somebody else shortly before she got to prison. I hate people. Yeah. They're both like people shit people. People are so dumb. I was. I spent more time watching this documentary than I did anything else. And I just sat there, like on my third time watching it. I'm not even shitting you. I'm like looking at it and I'm hearing them say these words, and I'm like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Like that's just mm-hmm. so ridiculous. Yeah. And this guy, he mentioned they never hooked up, and then he changed the story that they had sex one time and it was a mistake. But then on a different article, he told the and, and he told Paula this. And then in another interview, he told that interviewer that they had they were intimate at least three to four times. And then Lorna told the same interviewer that their affair had started in spring of 1983. Mm-hmm. So it's like, get your story straight, Tom. Exactly. Like, and no uh, one's going to take you seriously if you keep changing your shit up. That is what gets yeah. people caught when they do mm-hmm. crimes, is they cannot mm-hmm. keep their fucking story straight. Yep. But, and... Her mom had tried to, like, speak at his parole hearing, like, saying, like, he's not taking remorse, he's not taking responsibility, and, like, he does not deserve to get out, and they still let him out. Mm-hmm. And she even said, she's like, yeah, she's like, she loved him, and he had her killed. Mm-hmm. Like, he killed her. Like, that's just so awful. So awful. And he's a pastor, that fucking douchebag. He's not anymore. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that synod was like, mm, we're good, Tom. Mm. Well. He's no longer a minister. Good. But according to his um, prison records, he was an exemplary inmate. Mm-hmm. And he still had people on his side and who were like, oh, and there's a movie about this with Kathy Bates. Really? I do love I tried to Kathy find Bates. it, but... I couldn't find it. It's going to be something where I have to, like, deep dive for it. Oh, yeah. What's it's it called? F- it's called Murder Ordained, and it was a miniseries. Hmm. And it's got Keith Carradine and Kathy Bates and mm, Joe Beth something. Hmm. But, yeah. Like, I want to watch it. We almost watched it the other night, but then we couldn't find it, and then I realized it was three hours long. And that is the story of the murder of Sandy Bird and Marty Anderson by their spouses. Douchebags. Yeah. And they're both out. Like, that's just. Yeah, that pisses me off a lot. Sandy and Marty were both, like, amazing people from what everybody said about them. Mm Mm-hmm. And. Even if they weren't. Tom and They didn't deserve to be murdered by their spouses. No, absolutely so. not. Like, nobody, nobody deserves to be murdered by their spouse unless they're, like, being abused. Right. Like, um, like no self-defense. I, I worded that wrong, yes. If <laughs> I knew what you the were person saying. that gets murdered by their spouse is abusing the spouse, then, you know, that's very deep and dark. And dark. <laughs> but, well, I suppose we should get into this, huh? Yeah. Okay. You want to take this shot here, Nighthawk? I do, Dragon. All right. Let's I'm gonna do I'm going to put it. your face forward this time. Uh, I'm going to put your face forward this time. <laughs> 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 All right. 
you're frozen, so I'm just going to guess we're going to do this. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. One, two, three. Cheers. Cheers. Woohoo! Now I can see you and Starla. You want to go ahead and get started. You totally can. Okay. So I am going to talk to you today about the Gothic Hanging Jail of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the Beauregard Parish Jail, a.k.a. the Gothic Jail or the Hanging Jail, is a former jailhouse in DeRitter, Louisiana. Uh, in 1913, the Hudson River Lumber Company donated attractive land to the city of DeRitter for a courthouse and a jail. And the newly formed Beauregard Parish Police Jury purchased the property in 1914, and the jail was built in the Gothic Revival architecture style with nine cells on three floors, which was apparently enough to fit up to 50 prisoners. I'm sorry, how many cells? Nine. That's what I thought you said. (laughs) Nine cells on three floors, and they would fit sometimes more than 50 prisoners. Dang, guys, that sucks. That's six person a cell. Yeah. So, uh, the structure was not only made, the structure not only made history because of its unique design, but also because there was a bathroom with a shower, a toilet, and a window in each cell. Wow. It might not seem like anything special to most people, but indoor plumbing was not common during these times, especially in a jailhouse. (laughs) Well, yeah, and like a shower in each jail cell. yeah. It's usually just a toilet, perhaps a sink, but mm-hmm. a shower. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this was 1914. Most houses didn't have indoor plumbing, let alone the jails, you know? So that's that was really uncommon. Um, so the first floor consists of the jailer's quarters, which includes a living area, a kitchen, a bedroom, and a bathroom. And then the cell blocks are located in the upper floors and can be accessed by using a large spiral staircase. And this thing is amazing looking. Like, you you walk into this building. The build, the outside of the building is just phenomenal anyway. Um, but if you walk in, the, the first floor, so you have the rooms around you that the, the jailers stayed in. But then right in front of you is the staircase that literally just swirls up into the building. And it's, it's awesome. Uh, At the top of the staircase, you'll find the gallows. And at the bottom of the staircase, there is a tunnel leading from the jail to the courthouse next door. It's actually filled in and closed off now. But back in the day, it was used to transport prisoners for trial. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. The jails, or the, yeah, the jail's frame and parts of the interior, including the winding staircase, were created entirely from concrete poured into block forms and fused together. The 12-inch walls ensured that no prisoner escaped. So this was all just concrete blocks. The yeah. whole The whole thing. Um, the building has been out of commission now for over 30 years. Technically, it closed in 1984, I believe it was. Um, but it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places on December 17th of 1981, when it was still open. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> After undergoing renovations to remove asbestos and lead paint, the jail reopened for public tours in September of 2017. And 
basically everyone in town believes that this jail is haunted and it's become the subject of area ghost stories for like over almost 100 years now basically yeah so i'm i'm gonna get a little bit murdery now yeah that's what we're here for i'm gonna cross over into the true crime a little bit here uh because it coincides with the ghost stories so many believe that even after death some of the prisoners still remain within these walls and two of these alleged spirits are joe gina and molten brasso so on saturday august 28th 1926 Gina and Brasso were desperate to visit their reported girlfriends in the LaSalle Parish sawmill village of Toulouse, Louisiana. They plotted to hail a taxi, murder the driver in order to take possession of the vehicle, and drive to Toulouse. Yeah, as if they couldn't just take the taxi. <laughs> like, why do you have, to, have, to, why do you have to murder? Yeah, exactly. Oh, um, poor guy. So he was just doing his job. Exactly. He didn't even want to go that day. He tried to call in. They said, no, we need you. Right. I feel like taking a mental health day. (laughs) Right. But alas, I'm going to get murdered instead. (laughs) Uh, That's not funny, but damn, that sucks. I know. Uh, So they hired 45-year-old Joe J.J. Bravell, a well-liked community cab driver with a wife and a 10-year-old son, to transport them. I know. Sad. Joe Gina was in the back seat and Molten Brasso was in the front seat of the taxi. Gina hit Bravel with a spring leaf, which is, I had to look this up, but it's apparently like a metal piece of a car, which is down by the tires. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of like a, almost like a shock absorber. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, I would kind of assume it was somewhere around there. Um, but that had been put in the back floor of the taxi by Brasso. Uh, after it slipped out of his hand... Bresso grabbed the spring leaf and hit Bravel a number of times in the head and the side of the face. Bravel said, Moosey, I didn't believe you'd do me that way. Take my money, boys, if you want my money, and let me go. Bravel tried to stand up and tried to get away, but the murderers held his hands while they continued to hit him. It was estimated that Bravel was hit 15 more times after that, and then he said, I'm dying, boys. I'm through with. Let me go. Take my money. Take my car or anything you want. Brasso then cursed him and said, I'll knock your fucking brains out. At that time, he stabbed him in the heart with a screwdriver and cut his throat. Why? I know. It seems so, like, unnecessary. Absolutely. Know? Like, they. that's almost like they wanted to kill somebody at that point. Their goal was to murder someone. It wasn't to get to their girlfriends. Like, obviously, you know? They had to feed that compulsion to kill and then go get some. Mm-hmm. It's Ugh. just, it's so sad. So after Bravel was dead, he was pushed to the right-hand side of the front seat and Gina drove back into Deritter to pick up some clothes. The men then drove to the log pond of a deserted sawmill in Pickering, 15 miles away, stole $14 off of Bravel, dumped the body in the pond, and stole the car. They cleaned themselves and the car, threw their dirty clothes in a river, and finally reached Toulouse on Sunday. Now, if Bravel's body had not been found days later by boys fishing in the pond, uh, two men might have gotten away with it. But thank God those boys were fishing and they happened to reel in a body. Yeah, that's some like fucking stand by me shit. Uh, from what I from what I remember, I believe at least one of the boys was only eight years old. 
Yeah. So can you imagine oh. reeling in a body at eight years old? No. Yeah, me neither. I was eating Tootsie Rolls. Exactly. Uh, so police got a tip that Gina had solicited a cab the night of the murder. And so the body and the taxi records led to the men becoming suspects. After their girlfriends were arrested on Monday, and I didn't find any information on why they were arrested. I'm assuming it's just because of that connection. Harboring um, a fugitive? Maybe. But after that, Brasso disappeared and Gina broke them out of jail by twisting the cell lock. So by- They broke out again? Gina broke the girlfriends out of jail. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Brasso had disappeared already. And then after he, after Gina broke the girls out of jail, uh, he fled to Orange, Texas, where he was found and arrested. Oh, again. Yeah. Uh, Brasso was found in his hometown of Sulphur after hiding in the woods for a few days. Now, this is kind of a funny little tidbit, but- the girlfriends baked a cake during the incarceration period and asked the jailer to give it to their boyfriends. The jailer, by instinct, cut into the cake and discovered saw blades were nestled inside. <laughs> Needless to say, the men did not receive any cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> right? So but these girls were determined. I know. They really liked their men. So there are some accounts that the men claimed innocence until their execution. However, other sources stated that they confessed and that Brasso placed most of the blame on Gina. Either way, Gina, at the very least, had a record for robbery. And it was also rumored that he was known for sodomizing animals. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gina's trial began on October 11th, 1926, and a jury convicted him four days later. Brasso's trial began three days later, and it took only three days to return a guilty verdict. They were sentenced to death later that year. The murder and the legal proceedings to follow made newspaper headlines for over a year and a half, and the trials and hearings were said to be jammed with onlookers from near and far. After numerous failed appeals, their execution was scheduled for March 9th, 1928, and it would be the first double execution in Beauregard, and the only hanging to ever occur in the DeRitter prison. Really? Regardless, the Gothic building would for forever be known then as the Hanging Jail. Yeah, I was about to say, it's known as the Hanging Jail, but they only had one hanging, technically. Well, two. Two hangings, but <laughs> on the same day. Yeah. The only two hangings that they ever had there, and that's that's what it's known for now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, I shouldn't have laughed at that. <laughs> no, it's funny, it's weird. It's it just reminds me of a, uh, a thing like you can build a thousand bridges, but the moment mm-hmm. that you hang somebody in a jail, you are a <laughs> hanging jail. You are a hanging jail. <laughs> so the rest of your life. <laughs> so the night before the hangings, uh, Gina attempted suicide by swallowing 10 plus pills of some sort that were brought in and slipped to him. Uh, a doctor was called, his stomach was pumped, and he lived one more day. One more day. Uh, Prior to the suicide attempt, Gina wrote the following letter to Dr. J.D. Frazier. I wish to thank you and all of your force for the kind treatment which you have all given me. And most of all, I want to thank Mr. Gill for he has been wonderful to us. I guess I can say us, but I do not know how Bronco feels towards you all. But he ought to have no hard feelings. And doctor, I say again, as I have said always, that you are one of the whitest and squarest men living. Doctor, I hope, (laughs) 
I hope that I am doing you no harm by taking my own life. Dr. Fraser, you are too good a man to ever have to stain your hands with my blood or anyone else's. So, Doctor, I am leaving this old world with no hard feelings for no one. I want to tell you that the reason I am doing what I am is because I am not guilty of the murder of Joe Bravell. Yes, I was there, but I did not do the killing. And if you remember right, I told you that I did not do the killing, but that I tried to stop it. So goodbye and God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> the only message Brasso left <laughs> before he went to the gallows was made to a crowd, of, a crowd in sight of his window. And he said, goodbye. I still tell everyone I am innocent of this crime. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't really care, it seems. No, he is just... <laughs> he yeah, is but like, then the other dude's like... I know. Showing it up, though, too, to, like, pass the blame real quick. I know, right? And they're just obviously blaming each other. Yeah. So, on the day of the hangings, just before the death march started, Gina said to the deputy, Crumpler, I am dying at peace with the world. I have no hard feelings for anyone, and if I've got to go, I've got to go. To which Brasso echoed, I say the same thing. (laughs) Ditto. (laughs) Ditto. Uh, so, according to reporter Robert R. Faxon, Gina, 25 years of age, was the first to go. Based on the relative physical conditions of the men, he, weak and still suffering from the effects of the poison he took yesterday, was the first to mount the scaffold, led by Deputy Sheriff Jim Crumpler. Gina mounted the platform at 1254. The trap was sprung at 1255. He was pronounced dead at 106 from a broken neck. Now, it's actually said that he was that his was not an easy hanging and Deputy Sheriff Shorty Gill was supposedly had to pull on his leg to quote unquote finish him off. Yeah. But he was already weak from the poison. Well, that doesn't break a neck. No, but it should kill you. Yeah. Mm. I hope I don't ever have to have that job. Yep. Uh, so on Brasso, Faxon stated, jail-worn, agitated, mentally torture-racked, and straining under the load of taut nerves and a fear-crazed mind, but still carrying an air of defiance, Bra- Brasso, one year older than his companion, was led out by Deputy Sheriff Gill. Brasso took his place at the gallows at 114, the trap was sprung at 117, and at 129, he was pronounced dead from a broken neck. Neither man was buried in the Beauregard Parish. That's a long time to hang there. Uh, like, but at the same time, if he was bro- if he was pronounced dead by a broken neck, that's immediate. So I don't know if they just waited that long to, like, make sure he was dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what I was wondering. Like, did they wait long enough to make sure just to, like, right. make sure? Or did he struggle? And at that point, you guys messed up. Like... Yeah, they might have killed somebody and done some messed up shit, but that execution got botched, dude. Mm-hmm. That's a long time um, to hang there. Uh, I I honestly feel, though, that it was one of those things where they just, like, gave it some time just to make sure. Probably. Yeah. Because there, there was no information on them having to, like, force the, the, the neck break. Like they did with Gina. Yeah, but the, you know. For, yeah, but that first dude, they had to pull on his leg. Like, that's exactly. crazy, though. Mm-hmm. And that, again, like, I, I still kind of go back to that. Like, they messed something up. Either the, the rope was too long or something. Because you shouldn't have to pull on somebody's leg. Maybe that's why they didn't do any more hangings. Uh, yeah, I mean. 
I don't think it's the best place to do a hanging, which I'll get to in a little bit. At the hanging jail. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) now that we're done with that history, we can get on to the actual hauntings. So Christine Smith, who passed away in 2007, was a freelance writer and photographer whose work was published in magazines like Louisiana Life and Southern Living. Uh, a photograph she took of the jail was purchased by the city of DeRitter and can be seen today at the Beauregard Museum. Some see a ghostly image in it on the jail's porch. Uh, did you see that one? I, I see it. I'm looking at it right now. I seen it. it. <laughs> it wasn't a great picture, so it's not one that I saved for the Instagram, but y- there's obviously something there. Like, you know, so some, so there's a rumor that this is the ghost of an old jailer who stands on the front porch smoking his pipe and drinking coffee in his blue jeans, his blue jean overalls and white bibbed shirt. One paranormal investigator even reported smelling pipe smoke. Um, Gary Crow, Beauregard Parish Police Jury's vice president, says... There was a jailer here who did sit on the front porch and smoke a pipe, but I don't think that his ghost would be here because he didn't die here. That jailer was his father. So maybe it's a residual spirit energy, like since his father spent so much time there or something like that, you know. Or that's why he stuck there because he spent so much time there and it's not a residual thing. Yeah, that's true. So Lori Darbon is the director of the gothic jail. Uh, She has definitely had a few experiences. Uh, A group of paranormal investigators spent the night at the jail, and Lori stuck around out of curiosity. One of the questions that was asked was, do you know that you're dead? She said, I immediately felt an uncomfortable feeling come over me, and my mom's always taught me, you don't dabble with the devil. So I immediately excused myself from the building. Lori feels Good that girl. she right. Lori feels that she made the right choice to leave after listening to the sound bites that the investigators posted online. Mm-hmm. She said that I clicked on the fourth sound bite and I hear the voice say, "Do you know that you're dead?" And I remembered that was the question they asked in there that had given me chills. And what I heard it say was, "I'm alive. I'm alive." It scared me Ooh. so bad that I immediately clicked off of it and I never told a soul. It scared me that bad. Another time. Lori was finishing up after a tour, and her husband and 12-year-old granddaughter were with her. All of a sudden, she felt hands come down her waist, along her hips, and up inside her thighs. She, I know. She swung around to, to slap her husband for getting frisky in front of their granddaughter and realized <laughs> that she was completely alone in the room. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. She has not been inside the jail alone ever since. Oh, uh marlena she's a tour guide or no she's she's, a retired she's the guide. she's the director of the jail yeah oh. yeah so she's the the big wig there um she's like i'm not going to this building without you guys you better get here yep exactly if you call in i'm not going in so be here mm-hmm. so marlena who i think is a, hor- a historian but i can't really remember and i didn't write it down um has seen larger than life shadow man in the jailer's quarters, almost like a guard doing his rounds. Mm-hmm. Like, she she explained it like a, a big man with a big hat and just walking, you know? Yeah. Excuse me, you know, shadow men, a lot of them are seen wearing, like, top hats and, like, mm-hmm. stovepipe hats and stuff. Well, you're never going to get a, a 
a ghost with a, a baseball cap on, you know. Yeah, you might. Soon. So, maybe sometime soon. We're getting to that point. It's Britney, bitch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Nicholas, who is a former employee, had someone tap him hard on the shoulder. When he turned around, he saw a full shadow person right, walk right past him. Uh, after the third step up the spiral staircase, he vanished. Nicholas then got so hot, like temperature-wise, that he ran outside in 40-degree weather and started stripping off of his clothes. Yeah. Solid. Right? That's a little weird. So in addition to- He had to- a hot flash. <laughs> right. menopause. <laughs> I feel you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to the ghostly presences, the tunnel- Uh, which, again, is mainly filled in, has a strange stain on a wall that the jailhouse workers can't understand. Cleo Martin uh, is the administrative assistant for the Beauregard Tourism Commission. Uh, Mm -hmm. She says that there's an image that comes up on the wall, usually in the morning time. It looks like the face of a demon. You can see uh, a hood around its face and where two horns come out. You can see the eyes, but when we check the same spot in the evening... It transforms into an angel. Not sure what it is and why it happens, but it's something that we notice just about every day. So that's weird. So now I'm going to get into some fun stuff. Yeah, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Uh, Let me pull up my boobs and put them on the table. (laughs) (laughs) You got to let the table take that stress. The table's just a little too tall and I just got to, I got to balance them on there. Um, So I watched two different paranormal investigations, and I was going to talk about the first one, but then I decided against it. Um, They didn't get a lot of evidence, and what they did seemed, like, really staged. And they were also kind of disrespectful. They were chatting and giggling through the whole, like, spirit box box session, and I just, I didn't like that. So I said, fuck it, and I'm going to go straight into the investigation that led me to do this story in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so is that who I think it is. It Our is. Our new favorite ghost hunting team. <laughs> it is. So uh, with that said, if anyone has Discovery Plus, I highly recommend watching Ghost Brothers because it's hilarious and the investigations and stories are actually really good. <laughs> they are so fun. They oh my are goodness. so fun. <laughs> and they're not bad to look at either. No, they're not. Just throwing that out there. So the Ghost Brothers, and I don't think they're really brothers. I think they're just friends, um, include Jawan, Dalen, and Marcus. And they always start out with a baseline investigation where Dalen stays outside with the blueprints of the building. And he's also the only one who knows the basic history. So Jawan and Marcus basically get to go into whatever it is they're doing blind. (laughs) And... They crack me up, dude. <laughs> oh my god, dude. Yeah, they're hilarious. So I've funny. watched like two episodes and I'm dying. Yes, they are so funny. Like, and okay, so on this episode, they they pull up to this jail, right? And um Marcus is wearing a, a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. <laughs> and he says, I'm wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt and you brought us to a jail. <laughs> Jail in Louisiana, look, no Louisiana. less. I about oh. died. I was like, oh my God, oh. dude. <laughs> oh. So the guys walk in and Dalen's telling them where to go over the walkie. Uh, so they start in the jailer's quarters where they put the REM pod on the bed. 
and Juwan almost immediately sees a shadow in the next room, and shortly after, the REM pod goes off. So then Marcus goes into that room and basically automatically sees a shadow of a short figure run past him. So pretty much automatically, they're getting shit. They move to the bottom of the spiral staircase, and that's when Marcus gets a, like, a tight, tense feeling in his neck. And not more than a couple minutes later, the guys look up and see the gallows and the trap door where the noose would have fallen through during the hangings. And so that that brings me to something that I've kind of left out uh, is the fact that Gina and Brasso were literally hanged in the middle of the spiral staircase. The gallows is on the third floor. So they were walked up three flights of the spiral staircase. They stood on this small wooden platform with a trap door. And then they were dropped down into the middle of this spiral staircase. Oh, kidding. No wonder their necks didn't snap right away because like, Mm -hmm. you're getting thrown off a railing basically and not an actual gal. Well, I mean, it was kind of, it was the same thing as a gallows. It's, it was a, a wooden floor with a trap door, the same as any other gallows. And I'm sure they probably did it to like send a message. (laughs) But that's still, though, like, that's, mm-hmm. that's insane. Yeah. So it, I I don't know if you still have pictures up and stuff, but I'll have some on the Instagram anyway. So yeah. you can see, if you look up through the, the st- spiral staircase, you can see the trap door and the noose hanging in, be- like, down the staircase. Oh, you can. Mm-hmm. Oh, dang. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I, I guess I kind of see that. But still, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I don't brutal. know. Somebody didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, there there had to have been something that went wrong. Um, so on the second floor is a solitary confinement. The is the solitary confinement room, or what they call the death cell. Uh, Dalen says this area is known for making people physically ill. Uh, both Jawan and Marcus are in the cell doing a recording session, and poor Marcus is just like sweating to death. He's wiping his face constantly. So then they leave the cell and they go to the landing outside to continue the recording, and Marcus starts to feel really drained and nauseous. He literally doubles over and says the room is spinning and almost throws up. As this is happening, Dalen completely loses the camera feed from outside. Then Dalen Dalen tells the guys to go to the third floor, the gallows, and just, quote unquote, hang out. (laughs) (laughs) So then they move to the room behind the gallows, which is called the roundabout cells. And these Uh were uh, for housing like petty criminals. So Juwan went to get out the REM pod when they hear this like giant bang. And Jawan literally runs and hugs Marcus. Oh. <laughs> it is so cute. <laughs> so after they, after they, you know, disperse, uh, they go and check it out. And the gallows <laughs> trap door had fallen open. No. Yeah. So they're telling Dalen what happened and that it was latched up and it just fucking fell open. And it was loud. So Dalen tells them to take it as a sign and they bounce out for the night. (laughs) So it's funny because I feel like the ghost brothers, like they get a sign and they're like, yeah, we're out. Like otherwise, but the ghost adventures team is like, no, we're here here until tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then the ghost brothers are like, we're out. It's one. We haven't even met. We haven't even been to the witching hour. We're out. Yep. We're good. 
I, I can relate Bye. a lot to them. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm the person peeing her pants when she's slightly scared. So Mm -hmm. Exactly. So uh, after the first investigation, they did a few interviews with people familiar with the location, which I've already included. Uh, During the interview with the director, Lori, they show her an EVP that they recorded uh, that growled out, Mm -hmm. get out. And Lori said that's pretty common. And she thinks that it's the old guard, Shorty Gill. Uh, he was supposedly very aggressive and like to torture the prisoners. Mm-hmm. So now the guys are wondering if they've got multiple spirits. Is it Shorty haunting the place as well as Gina and Brasso, basically? So in their second investigation, all three guys go inside. In the jailer's quarters, they set up the REM pod and Marcus has the SLS camera going. They immediately get a body in the, in, like, uh, the corner of the room. And they ask, Shorty, is that you? Raise your hand. And the figure raises his hand and then runs to another part of the room and the REM pod goes off. Ooh. Okay. So really quickly, because mm-hmm. there's some people out there who probably don't know what a REM pod is. We yeah. just, we are in GA's Ghost Adventures, like glossary, we know. But a REM pod <laughs> is basically like a little puck mm-hmm. with an antenna that sticks out the middle and LED lights that go around this antenna and if something or someone touches or comes very close to touching that antenna, it'll go off. Yeah. And, like, there will be times where they'll test it and be like, look, you can see, like, my hand's far away, it doesn't go off, and then it comes close, and it goes off, and then I move it away, it's done. Mm-hmm. So these REM pods that they're saying, they saw the SLS camera, which is the connect for Xbox, mm-hmm. mapping the body, yep. and then moves to the opposite side of the... St- area and where the, the REM pod is and then it sets off like that's insane to mm-hmm. me so I'm sorry I just had to impart that knowledge on yeah. people who might not know yeah definitely go for it because we grew up with ghost adventures so we know <laughs> right <laughs> so uh now they're using the spirit box and they ask again shorty is that you and they get a response that sounds like Gina and all of a sudden the REM pod goes off again and Dalen screams and he says something <laughs> he he says something literally grabbed my ass. Oh snap. Mhm. So of course, he's freaking out and the guys are giving him shit and he's like I'm going to file a complaint and they're laughing at him and <laughs> this poor guy. <laughs> oh Dylan. I know. So then they move to the bottom of the stairs. And when they're down there, they hear a banging from what seems to be above the gallows. So they go all the way up the stairs, but nothing's actually higher than that. And they can't tell where the sound came from. So that's when they decide to split up. So Marcus stays at the gallows to do SLS. Daylin gets locked in the death cell with a REM pod. And Jawan goes to the bottom of the stairs to do a sensory deprivation. Basically, he's blindfolded with the ovulus going. And the ovulus is basically... How, how would you explain that? You ask questions, and if if the spirits have enough energy, they put words into this box, and the box yes. says the words back to you. So basically. the ovulus has, like, a dictionary, mm-hmm. and they only have so many words built into them, and they they read the the energy, and a word can, like, pop up and be like, oh, how did you die? And they'll be like, water, and this person drowned. They mm-hmm. knew that somebody drowned, and so they're like, oh, water, this person died from drowning. This is who we're talking to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. 
So uh, Jawan asks if they feel remorse for killing the tra- the taxi driver. And mm-hmm. on the ovulus, he gets equal, heart, and haunting. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, he asks, which one of you guys did not? And before he could finish, the ovulus says, together. Oh, snap. Mm-hmm. So it's like. But they were implicating each other. We did it together. Yeah. Yeah. So Dalen is in the death cell. And he's hearing bangings all over the place. So oh, he asks, he is. <laughs> is anyone in the cell with me? And I shit you not, I heard it with my own ears. He has the Without spirit- even needing like a fucking subtitle. Yep, I heard it with my own ears. On the spirit box, it says Brasso. Whoa. And that is not a typical name, a typical no, be- word. Well, and yeah, like a spirit box scans through all of the radio frequencies. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they had like a voice on three separate frequencies that said Brousseau. Mm-hmm. Brousseau. Brousseau? Brasso. Brasso. Like, I mean, that's... Yeah. That, that's indicative to a haunting, in my opinion. Yeah. That that alone, I was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd have peed my pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So then he asks if they were wrongly accused, and he got no. He asked, do you have remorse? He got yep. And he asked, are you stuck here? And then the REM pod goes off. Mm. Yeah. So meanwhile, Marcus is at the gallows, and he gets a body standing right on top of the gallows. Then that one body turns into two anomalies, and one looks like it's hanging on the other. So... He thinks that it could be Shorty pulling on Gina's leg to finish him off. Mm-hmm. So, oh. yeah. So okay. then Dalen yells for the guys and they all run upstairs and unlock him from the death cell. <laughs> and Mar- Marcus yells, free Dalen. <laughs> <laughs> Is Marcus the one wearing the Black Lives Matter shirt? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, he cracked me up. I know, he's so funny. <laughs> So then they share the evidence that they each caught, you know, and they kind of come to the conclusion that Joe Gina, Molten Brasso, and Shorty Gill are all haunting the jail. So then when they meet up with Lori, they explain that maybe Shorty wasn't actually aggressive or torturous, but he was actually just doing his job. Like, Dalen explains that it felt like when his ass got grabbed, he was actually just getting a pat down. And Uh, so maybe it was the same situation with Lori when she was getting, when she was groped, you know? Mm -hmm. So they say that Gina and Brasso are probably guilty and are just serving their sentence stuck in the jail. Um, Yeah. And they concluded that the strongest presence was actually Shorty. And they think that with all the hype around Gina and Brasso, that Shorty just wants his story told. Instead of the rumors of him being, like, a mean and nasty person because he was just doing his job, you know? Yeah. So the guys believe the truth about Shorty's story needs to be told and said to stop giving Shorty the short end of the stick. (laughs) So uh, with all of that said, uh, the Netflix horror film Eli, which came out in 2019, was shot in New Orleans, but thanks to the magic of digital filmmaking, it was set in Beauregard Parish's gothic hanging jail. Really? Yep. Uh, it was directed by Sinister 2 filmmaker Kieran Foy, and the film tells the story of a boy with a mysterious illness who is being treated at a secluded clinic that becomes a haunted prison. 
The jailhouse building and grounds were recreated digitally for the film, and those digital images were stitched together with scenes shot in New Orleans for the final cut. Now, Billy and I actually watched this movie when it came out, and it's actually pretty decent. (laughs) Is it actually, like, scary, or is it, like, gruesome? I mean, you're talking to someone who's pretty... Oh, desensitized. Desensitized, thank you. It was, I, I, I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed watching the movie. Um, do I think it was scary? Not at all. Okay, so you know me. You know what I don't like. I think you would probably be creeped out by it. I could I, get through it, though. But I think you you could watch it, yeah. All right, I already wrote it down, so. Yeah. And I, I, I recommend it because I think it was actually a, a pretty cool movie. So the Gothic Jail opened up to the public for tours in 2017, like I said earlier, uh, and eventually became a haunted house attraction during the Halloween season. Wow. It's known as the Gothic Jail After Dark. And the director, Lori, says, We can guarantee that we won't touch you, but we can't guarantee that something else won't be in there to give you a little hand. Yeah. The daytime and lantern tours of the jail were actually haunted due to COVID-19 pandemic and damage from the hurricanes Laura and Delta. And while tours reopened in April of this year, tours will have to be canceled during rainy or rainy days or nights due to roof and concrete damage. So hopefully they'll get back up and running soon because it is a gorgeous building and such a historic place. And it really deserves to be cared for and appreciated. And I'm glad that the, the parish and the area are doing as much as they can to take care of it because it's kind of an awesome place. So that's, that's my story of the Gothic hanging jail in Louisiana. Okay, so that, I've never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Me like, I, I. I've I watched a couple episodes of Ghost Brothers, but I haven't gotten, like, super deep into it. Was that the lights out, or was that just, like, your normal Ghost Brothers? I've been watching the lights out, yeah. Okay, okay. So there is actually a normal Ghost Brothers. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed is they're based in Atlanta, I believe. Right. And they tend to go, like, from what I've seen, they tend to go to places that are in the South. Mm-hmm. And so if... And the Ghost Brothers are black. Yeah. And so I, f- I feel like they go into these places kind of expecting like an aggression because they are black and they're in a southern environment. I mean, it's definitely a possibility. Like there, there was another episode that I watched um, right before this, the the Gothic Jail one, and I don't remember for the life of me where they were, but I remember they specifically stated something like if. If there are ghosts here from this certain time period, they're probably not used to seeing, you know, black men in front of them. <laughs> yeah, you know? absolutely. So. Like, so I watched a total of two episodes. Mm-hmm. And one of the episodes, um, they were talking to a ghost who I think passed in the 40s. And they were in like Arkansas. And so it's like in the 40s in Arkansas, a black man was not allowed to talk to a white woman. Right. And they even acknowledged like, I understand you might be a little nervous. You might be a little scared. But if you can at least just come talk to us, we want to know about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one, they went to a plantation. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, they're they're, yeah. they're cool guys. I, I enjoy they watching really them. They really are. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really picky with my, like, paranormal investigative shows. Yeah. And 
I, I've never really found one that I liked a lot other than Ghost Adventures until I started watching these guys a couple of weeks ago. And they're just, they're so, they they're, they investigate well. Their stories are good. Where they go are, are cool locations. Oh, they're just so funny. They're entertaining. So uh, I say we take another shot. Yeah. And then you can tell us the dad joke of the week. Let's so take this shot. I have two dad jokes. Oh, are we going to do the shot before the dad jokes? Sure. Shot. Okay. All right. To, Shot. to dad jokes. To dad jokes. <laughs> to bond. To bond. Ah. I finished it and I don't have anything to chase it. That was a bad idea. Breathe. All right. So I have two dad jokes this week. Hmm. They are Viking themed. I do like Vikings. They are from my dad. <laughs> and um, I get, um, yeah. So first joke, mm-hmm. what is a vegan Viking called? Oh, gosh. I don't know. A Norvegian. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh. dumb. Isn't it? But it's so good. So good. Oh, man. <laughs> and then the next one is how do Viking ships communicate with each other? Hmm. I don't know that one either. Norse code. Oh, I should have gotten <laughs> that. Instead of Morse code, it's Norse. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Ah. Norse code. <laughs> <sighs> So I feel really bad about this. I probably should have mentioned it earlier, but I live in Omaha and there is a child that is missing right now. An 11 year old who has autism in La Vista. He disappeared from a school on Monday at noon and they haven't seen him since. Yeah. So his name is Ryan Larson. We're hoping that he comes home. Unfortunately, we're at day five at this point and we're kind of worried and you know, Sitting in the comments section, there's people passing their judgment on the family or whatever. And I'm just like, let these people live mm-hmm. and search for their child in peace. Yep. Leave them alone. So, <sighs> Ryan, please come home. You are loved. You are missed. I know you won't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> because an 11-year-old should not be listening to this. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> but... If anybody else is listening to this and has seen this 11-year-old boy, please contact police. If anybody knows anything, please contact police or the missing and exploiting children. Maybe we have some answers. But yeah. I wish I would have put this at the beginning, but yeah, I forgot. It's okay. ADD. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, but, but hopefully, um, hopefully he'll be he'll be found safe and alive and very soon. And... You know, they they say that. There are autistic children who have done something similar and they can survive and they are found within seven days. So, mm-hmm. you know, he he is a high functioning autistic child, but he does also um, shut down when it comes to people who don't know him or mm-hmm. he doesn't know. So um, that could potentially cause him to be a little more scared and go a little further into where he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Keeping anyone in, in Omaha, keep an eye out and... Maybe. Check your cameras, check your sheds, check your backyards. Yep. 
check it all because he could be there and you just don't know. He mm -hmm. actually Google searched uh, how to hide from police. Really? Yeah. Wow. Shortly before his disappearance, he Google searched how to hide from police, but he also is like, he loves police. He loves fire. And so a lot of people are worried that he's thinking this is just like a big game of hide and seek. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to categorize that, but I do have an autistic nephew and he, he has left school without teachers knowing and luckily they live five blocks from the school and he just came home to see their dog mm -hmm. but it could have ended up so much worse and i'm glad that it didn't but my heart goes out to ryan larson's family yeah, yeah. i have uh, an autistic cousin and he is uh very low functioning he is actually um nonverbal, and is that the one that lives in we went to his sister's graduation party? Yes. Yes. Okay. At the lake. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so he is, he's probably ni 19 at this point, at least, I would assume, because Michaela, I think, is turning 21, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, he's, he's oh nonverbal. He's, he's low-functioning autistic, so I, I can't even imagine what my, my cousin Sarah has gone through um with him and she's got four other kids one yeah. two three 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 kids and an adopted kid other th on top of him you know so she keeps she keeps very busy she's a busy she's a busy woman she's a very strong woman so yeah, yeah I, I definitely i can understand uh and feel for the and cause. feel for the family yeah for Absolutely. sure yeah, people are out there saying, you know, why isn't his mom on TV? Well, one, do you think Ryan's going to find a TV to watch her on? Exactly. And two, what if she's too distraught to say anything to the media or be out and she's out there looking and doesn't have time to talk to the media? Like, I, I'm sorry, if my son's missing, I'm not necessarily going to be on TV where yeah. that's not going to help anything. I'm going to no. be out there looking for him. Absolutely. And they, uh, somebody even said that they're not like media savvy. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, absolutely. I get that. I am awkward as fuck. Mm -hmm. And if my child went missing, yep. you're going to have to check me into a mental hospital because I'm not going to be able to deal with that. I will snap. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I will need to be on an IV of clonopin. <laughs> yep. Hook it straight to the vein. <laughs> straight to the vein. <laughs> straight to the head oh my goodness but anyway my horse has been sent away i have gotten off be kind to people mm -hmm. look out for each Stay. other yeah absolutely look out for each other look out for your fellow man and look out for your fellow woman and fuck politeness and fuck politeness and look out for your fellow trans who might or gender binary or gender fluid or non-binary mm -hmm. be there for them because they're going through some rough shit right now too yep just don't be a fucking dick don't like, be a richard don't be a richard dick with that with murder and mayhem and hangings and hauntings <laughs> and then only two hangings at a hanging a, jail only two hangings at a hanging jail and a couple of Viking dad jokes. We're going to say good night, Omaha and Philly. And whoever um, else is listening to us. 
We forgot to mention that there was a minister that killed his wife. Yeah, that too. Fuck that guy. I'm going to apologize if this episode sounds like shit. (laughs) Because we are having a hell of a time tonight uh, with our sound and with our connections. And everything just seems to not be going correctly. So I'm going to edit it as best as I can. But I am a novice and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So I'm sorry. And I hope you keep listening. (laughs) Tasha does all the editing, but she's amazing. She's really captured it. So keep listening. Rate, subscribe, download. Tell your friends. Tell tell your your family. Have them listen because... Yes, we're doing this for ourselves, but we want other people to take this in, too. We're, we're trying to spread enjoyment for everyone, not just ourselves. We, we, we're a little biased. We're a little... We think we're funny. We do so, think we're funny. We hope that other people funny. think we're funny, so tell us we're funny. <laughs> if you don't think we're funny, don't tell us. But if you yeah. think we're funny, tell us. Yeah, please don't tell us we're not funny, because we will take it very badly. <laughs> And if you know us personally and you haven't reached out to tell us that you're listening to our podcast, tell us. Yeah, tell us. Because the more people that we know we're listening, the more that our heads are going to grow and we're going to be more comfortable doing this because we know that people actually give a shit. Don't tell them that. They're not going to want our heads to get bigger. They're already big. (laughs) Because we're smart and we're funny. Yes. And we're going to go to bed. (laughs) yeah all right audio senorita i love you tasha i I love you audience i love you steph and i love you audience keep it juicy and keep it real (laughs) bye (laughs) bye